and welcome to episode number 93 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Brett Colson. And this week, we have a very special guest to join us here. We're going to talk some XFL, some NBA. We'll even talk some major media news that went on out there. A big, big deal. That another domino falling in this crazy gambling world of ours. Juan Carlos Blanco is going to join us here. Of course, as always, guys, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify and Stitcher. And we have those Twitter handles if you want to follow along on the Twitter machine at the Lions US and at PlayPicks US as well. Of course, if you are just now following this podcast, every single thing that we do is absolutely free from podcasts to articles to videos to everything. So uh, be sure and follow along because it will not cost you a single penny. So let's get things kicked off here. And the big news of the week is the relative success here of the XFL. The XFL has been rebooted by Vince McMahon. They went and got some pretty good television uh, deals here. They were on ABC. They were on Fox. They were on ESPN. According to the insiders, the way that this is working, which, you know, lets you know that there is some viability for the length of this league as well is that is basically kind of a big barter deal. So they're, they are not receiving, when I say they being the XFL and, and Vince McMahon, are not receiving a rights fee for the airing of the XFL for this first season, but at the same time, they're not having to pay production costs. So the networks are picking up the production costs of the, of the actual broadcasts. And so that's not coming out of the pocket of the XFL and Vince McMahon. And, you know, that's uh, the networks. It's kind of a little less of a bargain. I mean, a little less of a gamble for them because they are not having to pay rights fees for the XFL. And so really the viability will go on as long as Vince McMahon wants to keep tapping in to those um to the to that uh billion well, 1.3 billion dollar net worth that people say that, that he has uh Brett I know you were doing a lot of other stuff and weren't real able to weren't able to tap into as much XFL as you wanted to here but um I, I'm actually kind of curious from watching from afar uh, am I off base? Does it seem like this was really well received from from everyone? Because, I mean, if you were following along on, on Twitter, I think you and I probably follow a lot of the same people and are certainly monitoring a lot of the same lists along the way. And I did not see that many complaints from the league. I was stunned at how many people were watching it. And you're right. It was extremely well received by nearly everybody I follow on Twitter. I personally had... I. I realized on Saturday afternoon as I was following golf and the NHL was on that I really didn't care about the XFL. It was kind of like a realization, a realization that I, I don't need football anymore now that the NFL is over. And that's, you know, that's just my personal feeling. But if look, if, if you can't get enough football, you love the idea of another few months of it, I think that's great. I hope this league succeeds. And I, I think they're doing a lot of good things with their approach to production and player access and, of course, the gambling side of it. It sounds like they hit most of those, uh, checked most of those boxes in week one. I know Juan, we brought Juan on because I know he's been following it very closely. I like to get his his thoughts on it. Yeah, no, Juan, Carlos Blanco, you've probably seen his work over on the lines, over on play picks as well, going to cover the XFL for us throughout the course of the season. And Juan, tuning in week one, one, what were your expectations and did the XFL meet those expectations or did they even possibly exceed those expectations? 
Yeah, well, you know, I'll preface everything by telling you I'm like the easiest prey for these alternative football leagues because I've always just been interested in anything that keeps football going, uh, you know, pretty much year round. So I looked at this as pretty much the same way I went into looking at the AAF last year, the Alliance. Uh, I I thought that there was going to be just based on the names involved and the coaching involved. There was going to be some decent football, but I also kind of learned from watching uh, the Alliance last year that really the early couple, first couple weeks, you're going to have a lot of struggles with offensive line play and quarterback play for the most part. I actually think the XFL in week one outdid the play of the Alliance last year in their opening week in that regard. I think the offensive lines are a lot more cohesive than I expected. And there was a couple of, uh, you know, the biggest names at quarterback in this league weren't even uh, available yet in week one, Josh Johnson and Landry Jones because of injury. And yet you still saw some decent quarterback play. I, I saw pretty much everybody playing, keeping things close to the vest. No team except for maybe the uh, the D.C. team with Cardale Jones really opened things up on offense too much. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, high percentage throws and everything, but for the most part, everything actually looked pretty smooth. I think the fact that these guys got really, they ramped up for two full years before getting on the field helped in that regard for sure. No doubt about it. I mean, I, as I was watching, you know, it felt like real football to me and the new rules that they're trying out. I got to be honest with you. I actually thought were pretty cool. I actually enjoyed the kickoff rule and the punt rule. And I actually enjoyed the fact that you only have to get one foot down to make a catch. Because to me, if you catch it and you get one foot in, you made the catch. I mean, like I've always thought that I always thought this was something that the NFL should just go with the college rules on. It doesn't make any sense why you have to get two feet in. If you catch the ball and you're on the field of play with one foot, then you made the catch. And, um, you know, a lot of these other little things that they were trying with the XFL, the 25 second play clock was certainly something I was was that was welcome to me. People hurrying up to the line. I really enjoyed the fact that the offensive, you know, that, that you're able to talk to all the offensive skill players in their helmet basically right up until the snap goes off. We saw very few pre-snap penalties. We saw um, we, we actually saw, you know, some some pretty decent offense throughout the course of, of the first weekend here, the XFL. And I think all of those things contributed to that. And so I don't know, man, I hate to like give, you know, I'm not going to say a 10 out of 10 here for for the XFL, but. I really come away with no complaints whatsoever and am actually pretty fairly bullish now on the success of of this league kind of moving forward, because I think that there can be some people who, you know, maybe, Brett, it's something like you where you said, you know, hey, you know, I didn't really I didn't find it pressing or something. However, you know, this coming Saturday or this coming Sunday, if you do flip on the television and you don't have much going on, I don't know if the XFL will ever be you know, appointment television like the NFL is for most people. But I think it can be something that if you're, you know, sitting at home and you flip on the television that you can be entertained like you would a random college football game on a Saturday. Like if you were just sitting there on a Saturday and you flipped on your television and it wasn't necessarily a college game that you were that you were definitely going to sit down and watch. But if there's college football on, you'll put it on and it'll be on and you'll watch it because it just happens to be, you know, something that you're interested in. I think the XFL can kind of be along that uh, kind of be along that same trajectory for a lot of people that, you know, hey, it might not be something where I'm like, oh, no, sorry, I got to be in front of the television. Definitely at, at, you know, at kickoff all the way until the very end of the game, but something you can pick up along the way and be entertained as it's as it's on. Yeah, I look at it kind of like a like it's a sunbelt 
college football game where it's like the only thing on a Saturday night or a Friday night. I'll, I'll tune in and just see what's going on. That'll probably happen at some point this year. The, the main, the main question I have is, is there enough on field talent? That was the big thing with the AAF. I loved what the AAF was doing with the rule changes and the pace of the game is, is so key because the NFL is just so slow nowadays. Uh, and I, and the XFL has carried a lot of those over, Uh, to their league. So that part of it, I really do appreciate. I'm just concerned. We complain all year about the poor quarterback play in the NFL. And now we're, we're going to get excited about watching these guys who couldn't cut it in the NFL every single week. I just, I can't get excited about that. I I, I just, I'm not there yet. Maybe I will at some point. And that's fair. But but, I mean, these are still the, these are still the very, you know, these are still the best of the college players that like you said couldn't quite cut it in the NFL but I mean we're, we're okay with watching college football you know and these are the best of the college football players that are uh, that are still available out there you know so I mean I guess you just kind of have to look at it from that standpoint that like you said I mean it is it's kind of like I think I think it's more akin to tuning in on a Saturday and watching a college football game than it is you know to the NFL and if I think maybe if we and if we don't try and blow it up and make it something that it's not, and if we don't try to keep comparing every single thing that goes on to the NFL and think of it more as, you know, along the lines of kind of an elevated college game, then, uh, you know, I think that there's at least, at least a chance for this when it's, when it's all said and done. But I mean, one of the other things I think that's pointing to there being a chance is just the numbers that we have gotten come out. Of course, the ratings for the game from the television networks was very, very good, very, uh, very much more than they were expecting in the betting handle. Of course, we talk about betting here on this show, 20 times more handle and 16 times more bets on these, uh, this weekends of the games than the AAF got in their opening weekend as well. You know, they also saw, you know, over 1.4 times the handle of the hall of fame game that we saw. We saw about 10%. Uh, 10% of the handle of the first NFL regular season game. And I think that that's about right. You know, I mean, like you're, you're, you are still trying something new here and you are still, uh, you know, putting out a product that people are not familiar with. Brett, from a, from a betting standpoint though, whenever you read these numbers and you see just this, I mean, even 10% of an NFL game for these sports books has to be pretty, pretty amazing for them because considering this is something that was not on their docket, you know, you know, this is something that is completely brand new for them being able to offer this and to get that type of handle. And we'll see if that actually keeps up throughout the course of the season, but uh, for them to be able to get that type of handle and uh, you know, in something that didn't even exist until this past week, got to be pretty great for these sports books. Yeah. That was across two games on Saturday, but even still that, Again, I'm I'm shocked by the the amount of interest, uh, both from viewership and and betting handle on the XFL. If you had set the line at the two Saturday games doing 10% of the handle of the Packers Bears game last year, I would have bet everything I owned on the under. I, like, how is that even possible? I, that's that's just stunning to me. So, kudos to the XFL. Kudos to the books who got lines up and and got people interested in in betting on this because. Um, it's there and it'll be interesting to see if it continues here in a week two. One, one of the things we saw from the books where they were very hesitant to put up totals for these games. They waited until the very last minute to put up, 
totals for the XFL, and we saw this because they got absolutely brutalized in the AAF last year. There were totals were all put out. They were way, way, way too high. Those teams with the AAF, however, had really only been together for about a month and a half, two months leading into the season. They were not completely polished, certainly weren't familiar with each other or anything like that. We just saw unders hitting just left and right at a ridiculous rate, and the books got absolutely hammered. So they waited a decent, you know, waited until basically they had to put up some sort of total here. We actually saw Circa Sportsbook here in Las Vegas that, you know, they've been they've been the guys opening for college football throughout the course of the 2019-2020 season, and they decided to be the ones who were going to be the first to put out the totals for the XFL. They put out totals that were way more in line with the AAF, and we saw those totals. They opened a couple of the, the first two games on Saturday at 40 and a half. We saw those games close closer to 51 and a half, 52. So you can see a game got bet up nearly 10, 11 points here in Vegas. What do you think we're going to see kind of moving forward? What were some of your takeaways as far as the spreads and as far as the totals go? And what do you think we'll be looking at as we move forward here in the XFL? Yeah, you know, I think f- f- the the preseason hype really for the uh, the Dallas Renegades, you know, with Bob Stoops as the coach, that really carried them, uh, you know, carried into the into week one, and you saw these huge lines in, in particular for them uh, again in, in their game uh, against St. Louis, uh, which was considered to be one of the worst teams in the league, I guess, going in, and we saw how that turned out. I mean, again, Landry Jones didn't play for Dallas, but. Uh, there was nothing uh, even close to resembling, I guess, what the expectations were there. And I think, I mean, now, you know, going into week two, uh, everybody's going to perceive that they have a better handle on each of these clubs. But there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And again, it, it's been the experience with all these leagues, you know, last year with the Alliance, the UFL, like over 10 years ago, as time goes on. And, uh, the, the, you know, a season unfolds that first season and these uh, offensive lines and quarterbacks and receivers play together. That's when you start to see a little bit more sustained, consistent offense that you can bank on week to week. I think all these teams are still going to be like looking for their identity in week two. So the totals are still kind of a, a uncharted territory, a little bit of a risky terrain, I think, going into the second week. I think once we get a couple games of sample size, we have a better idea of of what the quality of these teams really is going to be. It's just too small a sample, I think, in the first week and, you know, with everybody just kind of getting settled in. Yeah, and one of the other things I think we saw with the XFL here that we can't uh, that we can't just gloss over here is just that they're embracing of the gambling culture and gambling in general right from the get-go on the AFs uh, on the ABC broadcast. We're talking ABC, big ABC here, you know, right on the score ticker was the the total for the game. It said over under 51 and a half and it stayed right there on the ticker the entire game early in the first quarter. I mean, I'm talking, you know, 6 or 7 minutes into the first quarter. They pulled up the futures numbers of, you know, the the odds from Caesar Sportsbook. Of course, we know that Disney and ABC and, and, and ESPN has a deal with Caesar Sportsbook, so they pull up the odds from Caesar Sportsbook to the futures numbers and, you know, XFL championship futures. And they pulled those up and talked about those as well. And so, you know, this, the XFL, I think is, is certainly a league. We, you know, they talked about it, that they were not going to shy away from the gambling angle. And they certainly did not, at least in that first week there. And, you know, hats off to them. Kudos to them because Brett, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, if you're going to, if you're going to cater to a specific group out there, 
probably catering to the betting public is the way you want to go if you're this new league because hey, where are you going to get where are you going to get casual eyeballs from? Probably someone who maybe decided to put to, to drop 20 bucks on the game. So for them to go that route and then follow through with it the way that they did. And I imagine we'll only see more integration as they get a little bit, you know, their feet under them a little bit better here as the league progresses, I think is a really, really sharp play on the XFL's part. Yeah, it's amazing how far we've come with the networks who just a couple of years ago refused to even mention betting on a broadcast. And now you've got it plastered all over the ticker, ESPN, ABC. These are Disney companies who are they're they're bought in because they they have to be. This is the future. I mean, betting is taking over. So it's nice to see finally that, you know, we're getting all of the implementation of, of sports betting and, and fantasy into these broadcasts because that's why people are watching these games, guys. Through week one, we do have a big shakeup in that futures market that I'm talking about. The DC Defenders are now plus 300, three to one to win the XFL championship over at DraftKings Sportsbook. You can actually catch them at three and a half to one, 350 over on FanDuel. New York Guardians, Houston Roughnecks, Dallas Renegades. So this was the coming into the week one favorite there. Dallas Renegades down. Tampa Bay Vipers, St. Louis Battlehawks, then the Los Angeles Wildcats, followed by the Seattle Dragons bringing up the rear here. My Houston, uh, feeling good about my futures ticket I have on the Houston Roughnecks. Um, I got them at 8-1. to one. They are now sitting at plus 475, so I'm feeling pretty good about my Houston Roughnecks futures ticket that I had. But uh, there, I imagine this will shake up yet again just after week two here as we really start to get an idea for how things are going to play out in the league here. No lines for us to talk about here on a Tuesday. I imagine those will hit at some point through the course of today, but um, you know, we will we'll certainly have written articles and breakdowns and all of that stuff over on the lines and play picks, so be sure and check out all of the work over there before we get off of the XFL. One last thing here. We're not going to get on our, our high horse or anything, but uh, Al Veluk did, did do an interview with, the, with NPR on Saturday, was asked about Colin Kaepernick, said that they engaged in talks with Colin Kaepernick, but the salary demands were, I think, I, I don't remember what his exact quote was, but something along the lines of exorbitant for where, you know what they are, looking to pay, you know, for the XFL and all of that. And um, Juan, I think this puts a nice little bow on anything. I think we can basically quit talking about Colin Kaepernick moving forward forever. They were, you know, had a chance to get in with this league. He could have proven, put on tape, you know, that he can actually still play. And maybe a team in the NFL would have taken a chance on him, at least as some sort as a backup or whatever, if he really, really wanted to play. But Oliver Lux said basically the talks began and, and ended extremely quickly with one Colin Kaepernick because he wanted so much money that the XFL couldn't even come, couldn't even begin negotiations with him. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be because, I mean, obviously he's not getting any younger either. I mean, we could say that in a couple of years, depending on how this league goes, that uh, there could be higher salaries being paid out for quarterbacks on average. I think there already are technically, even though they haven't, I don't think, released those publicly. They have said quarterbacks get a little bit more on average here in this league. But um, even even so, I mean, let's say that that does develop over time. Uh, at that point, we're talking about, a, I guess, about a 33, 34-year-old Kaepernick at that point. So it's kind of a moot 
moot point at that point uh, if he's going to uh, remain, uh, you know, kind of focused in on that. Uh, that's going to kind of be a deal breaker for him. Like you said, it looks like it might be a non-starter uh, for him. And in a way, I mean, I guess the other way we can look at it from his perspective, too, uh, don't know that he has all the confidence in the world he'll be playing in front of uh, the best offensive lineman uh, that'll protect him consistently in this league. He might see himself as being at even a, a greater risk of uh, health, uh, you know, playing with more inexperienced players and a, a lower caliber of player than he might be at the in the NFL level. So, Brett, would you would you go ahead and say this probably puts an end to anything we can ever do with Colin Kaepernick? And at this point. Whenever a quarterback goes down in the NFL this year, which they inevitably will, can we stop ringing the Colin Kaepernick bell? Because, I mean, at this point, one, we really and truly have no idea if the guy can play anymore. Like, we, we really, I mean, it's been so long. We have no idea whether the guy has anything left. And the fact that, you know, he had a chance to go and start. And, yeah, I understand. It's the XFL, and I get it. And you probably think that you are a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. Well, you know, the other teams don't think so. And they want to see, They probably want to see something on tape. And, you know, they wanted so much money that he was didn't even – weren't even able to get into actual negotiations with all of this. And I think, for me, I'm about done with the whole Colin Kaepernick saga. I hope this is it. And, and that's coming from a huge Colin Kaepernick fan. Same, I love Colin Kaepernick. Same. I liked when he played. I know. It's just like at this point, though, I think he's made it very, very evident that he doesn't really have any interest in playing anymore. Yeah, I'm terrified of him returning and not being in game, sh- game shape and just embarrassing himself. Johnny Manziel, CFL style. And then the haters coming out in droves. Then, And then that becomes the story of the XFL pulling away from the storylines that we should be paying attention to. I just don't see the upside for him. He already got a massive check from the NFL. Just sit back and, and enjoy life, man. He's go. doing so many great things off the field. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely. So we're going to make a shift here to the NBA. The trade deadline has come and gone. We saw the Warriors and the Timberwolves make a big swap. D'Angelo Russell headed to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Andrew Wiggins, the return there for the Warriors. Of course, they're going to get some picks along the way as well. The Clippers landed Marcus Morris and what I think is a much bigger deal than maybe even a lot of people. Marcus Morris, a very complete player, added into what is already an incredibly good roster over there for the Clippers so him being added to to that fold pretty huge the Pistons send Andre Drummond to the Cavs I know this is not where Andre Drummond wanted to end up if he was going to get traded he probably wanted to end it up with someone who was an actual contender that is not the case he ends up going to Cleveland Miami Heat ends up landing Andre Iguodala And there was a bunch of people who traded teams along the way throughout the course of him getting there that, but he was definitely the biggest name that were that was uh, swapped there. And then Clint Capella got sent over to Atlanta. There was a bunch of other moving parts as well there, including Robert Covington getting, uh, getting moved as well to the Houston Rockets. But those were the real big trades, the real big movement and as we kind of look at the futures odds, Brett, didn't really affect anything all that much because the Bucks didn't make a big play. The Lakers didn't make a big play. Of course, the Clippers did in getting Marcus Morris, but they were already one of the, the favorites as it was anyway. And then you kind of look down here and it did not really move any of these futures markets uh, really all that much. 
The only one really of note was the Miami Heat moving from plus 3,000 to plus 2,000 after they got Iguodala. Originally, though, it was reported that they would be getting Danilo Gallinari as well. So I imagine that resulted in a lot of action coming in from betters, uh, which moved the Agreed. line to plus 2,000. Agreed. Uh, but that fell through. The Heat's still at plus 2,000, so I'm sure there's some liability there uh, for the books. Uh, yeah, that big 12-player trade between the Rockets, Hawks, Nuggets, Timberwolves, uh, that involved Capella. Just a small move there, moving Houston from plus 1,500 to plus 1,600. What we saw at the deadline this year was just a lot of teams that are already out of it this year positioning themselves for next season. So from the future side, not a whole lot to report. Um, but if if you're betting single games, there is a lot to look at with rotation changes uh, new matchups uh, to look at that we had not seen before. I, I highly recommend uh, the new podcast we've got here at the lines. It's called the, the coast to coast podcast focused all on NBA, Josh Lander and our guy, Nate Weitzer. Uh, last week, they took a look at all the trades and how they will impact each team going forward. They're going to double down on it this week as well. So uh, I would definitely check that out. But yeah, from the future side, not, not much, We did see a huge move from the Toronto Raptors, though, Um, and it followed a story that we ran by Chris Sheridan last week about the Raptors, the fact that they were being under, I mean, just really disrespected by the market. They were sitting at plus 4,000 at DraftKings Sportsbook to win the title. They had won 11 games in a row, and here we are a week later. They're at 15 wins in a row, and they're title odds have dropped to plus 2000. So hopefully some of our readers caught wind of that. I actually raced down to the book after I read that story. I could not believe the Raptors were at that price. And we talked to Johnny Avello about it and he basically said, they're not moving the number until they get some bets on the Raptors. That's how the market works. They hadn't been getting any number, any, any bets on the Raptors, but now that there are 15 wins, people are starting to pay attention. So the Raptors have been the biggest move here over the past week and a half. Yeah. I, my strategy in any of this, and I was you know, telling people along the way was if I, if you were going to bet a futures, make a futures bet at this point in the season, I think the way to do it would be to make that bet over on in the East Coast, in the Eastern Conference, because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, you, you got to get through the Bucks, but at that point, it's pretty wide open. And when you look at the West, it's just so jumbled at the top with the Lakers, the Clippers, and then even I think you can throw in the, the Rockets and Jazz. So if you want to like, if you want to look at some of these longer shots, I mean, they have got a pretty tough way to get to the championship. I mean, even throw in the Nuggets in there as well, who on any given night look like they are the best team in the in the NBA. And then, you know, in any other any given other night, of course, they, they look like garbage. But um, it, yeah, I, I definitely understand the, the Heat and the Raptors uh, for sure, because I think that it is much more open there in the Eastern Conference. Juan, you follow the NBA very closely here. I think one of the biggest takeaways from the trade deadline as well was how the Houston Rockets are going to go about playing basketball here to close out the rest of this season. They are going to play legitimate small ball and don't have a starting center on the the roster here as far as a guy that, you know, you are going to look at and who is going to play significant minutes on a night-to-night basis and you're going to have a bunch of guys that, you know, we haven't seen in a long time where you're going to have five guys out there at six, eight and, and under and trying to compete here um, in in the NBA as we move forward the rest of the season. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm sure PJ Tucker was thrilled with the news of how uh, he's going to have to be fighting down low every every night now against guys that are just uh, towering over him. And but that's the way that, like you said, that uh, Mike D'Antoni is uh, choosing to go with it. And I mean, at this point, I mean, we know what the backcourt is capable of. We know they're they're going to rack up the points. Um, it just it, it's it's going to be difficult to see them getting through uh, the most important part of the season, uh, meaning the postseason, really. And, and getting to where they want to ultimately get to uh, trying to, to battle some of these teams with the, the major mismatch down low. I think that no matter how many points uh, Westbrook and Harden throw up, it's going to be difficult for them to win uh, seven game series with that kind of, I think, liability down low, unless they, they kind of shift or tweak that philosophy as time goes on and, and give uh, Isaiah Hartenstein and Tyson Chandler some more legitimate minutes down low as, as legitimate centers uh, to, to play some defense down there. Tyson, when you're when you're saying give significant minutes to Tyson Chandler here on, yeah. in February of 2020, uh, yeah, that's the state of. It's, of it's the not Rockets. a good. It's not a good plan of action to move <laughs> forward with. Yeah, but I mean that kind of is is where they are if if they get to a point where uh, where it's just not working anymore. I'm sure they can get through the rest of the regular season uh, with this kind of philosophy. It just it, you know, it remains to be seen when you know when the the stakes are the highest. Is this going to get them through? Yeah, no, absolutely. It is. It is. It, it, I'll put it this way. At the very least, Brett, I think it's fascinating that they have decided that this is how they're going to play basketball for the rest of the season. So at the very least, I think it'll be fun to watch and see how it goes. I mean, they're going to have to shoot more threes than everybody else. And they're better. They damn sure better make more threes than everybody else, because if they have a bad shooting night, things are going to go very poorly for this team. Yeah, I don't hate it. I mean, I think it was proven that the way the roster was constructed before, they had no chance against the two L.A. teams. So, like Juan said, change up your thinking about how you want to attack these teams and, and just go for it. I mean, what what do you have to lose? There really isn't a lot to lose because, it, you know, I mean, they're they are the the you know, the, they are the overwhelming favorites for a reason. I mean, the way that those lineups over there in L.A. are, are positioned and the way that they are set up. I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they are the overwhelming favorites that they are. But as you guys know, we have moved in, moved very, very close here to NBA, the NBA all-star game. There will be NBA all-star festivities all weekend long. And with that, there will be some additional betting opportunities. Um, Brett, how can people get involved with NBA all-star betting? Should they want to completely go that route? And I'm not going to say, Degen completely out because listen, I mean, there are things that you can bet on that I do believe there is some skill and that you actually can handicap. But uh, the game itself, I mean, come on, come on, guys, just <laughs> stay away from the game itself. But some of these other some of these other ways, I think, are you can at least handicap anyway. Yeah, we spoke with Fandle on Monday. They said all-star game markets would be open Tuesday. So be on the lookout for those, possibly even before this podcast goes live. Uh, what are we expecting in markets? Pretty much the same as last year. There's going to be odds for the Rising Stars game, uh, the Skills Challenge, the three-point shootout, obviously the all-star game. Probably no slam dunk contest again. Uh if you recall last year, some books, New Jersey did post lines for the dunk contest before they were taken down. Apparently a no go from regulators because the winner is decided by a panel of judges. And unlike other awards like season long MVPs and rookie of the years, this one can be influenced pretty heavily by like personal biases and crowd reactions, whatever it might be. So I understand the caution in listing a market like the slam dunk contest. As fun as that would be, um, 
my question, I only saw four names listed for the slam dunk contest. Has that been that way for a while? I haven't watched it in years. They used to have like eight, didn't they? I hadn't paid attention in a hot minute either. Juan, is this is this the norm? What's 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 going on with the slam dunk competition? No, it's my impression of just from recent memory going off the top of my head. It's been more than, you know, it's, it's been a bigger field of participants than that. So, you know, unless something has changed this year, yeah, that I'm not aware of, but it's it's been a bigger field of participants as far as I remember. Man, it is it I have not paid attention to NBA All-Star stuff in quite some time. Actually, All-Star stuff in general, I have not paid attention to really at all because it's just the whole thing to me is is kind of silly. Brett, do you get into any of the All-Star weekends? Do any of the sports stand out to you as as actually producing a good All-Star kind of festivities? Or is it all just uh, an afterthought for you? It's a break. It's basically a break. Do you just look at it as a mini vacation for you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't like any of them. It's kind of like, a, I guess, I guess it'd be akin to the XFL. If it's if I'm not doing anything, I'm sitting at home and it's on. I guess I'll watch it. Kind of what happened with the the NHL All Star Game this year. I was just it was on. I was having some drinks. I turned and I actually really enjoyed the NHL one this year. It was you know the three on three format. There's a lot of fun showcases the talents of players that we don't often get to see in that five on five game. So I I actually did enjoy that this year. Um, but yeah, it's it's just. It's exhibition. I, I don't really care. It doesn't mean anything. The MLB All-Star Game used to mean something when they were playing for something tangible other than money with, you know, with the winner of the, the game getting home field in the World Series. But that is no longer a thing. Uh, so I, I, I don't really pay attention to any of these at all. Juan, do even any, even with even though you can bet on them, I just I have no interest. Right, Juan, do do any of the All Star festivities uh, do it for you? Is there any specific sport where it at least you feel like is better than any of the other sports? You know, I'd have to give the edge to baseball. Uh, you know, at this point, even though you know with the NBA, I mean, it's like if you're watching a Globetrotters, uh, you know, extended exhibition on TV when you get to the actual game. I think a lot of the pre uh, stuff on the weekend before the game is kind of fun to watch, but the game itself, you know, with no defense usually being played uh, as a general rule is, is a little bit hard to, uh, to watch for all four quarters, but with baseball, I mean, baseball's baseball. I mean, you know, it, there's really not uh, much of a way for people to just kind of dog it and, and fake it, you know? So uh, I guess by default, almost I'd give it to MLB and uh, you know, it's, it's uh, the home run contest, of course, is always kind of fun to watch just because, uh, that's the biggest, uh, most exciting single event within a baseball game. And to see that, you know, a whole event focused on that is kind of fun. And nobody can steal signs there either. So that's good, too. <laughs> so I, I, I like to. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd give I'd give baseball the slight edge there. I mean, the Pro Bowl, I used to try my best to make that into something that was legitimate. But these players, uh, the way that they play that game doesn't help either. It doesn't really lend credence to the fact that they're trying very hard. So. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, with you. MLB it is. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, Major yeah. League Baseball, at least with baseball, it resembles baseball where all the other stuff doesn't even resemble <laughs> right. the, the actual sport itself anymore. And it's just a bastardized version of that. I mean, the NFL Pro Bowl is the biggest joke in all of these. I think we all would say it is by far the worst uh, when it comes to even somewhat being comparable to the you know regular product and you know rightfully so you don't want these guys out there banging banging around for for no reason which is why the NFL should certainly just go to some sort of massive skills competition and 
stuff like that. But, uh, you know, hey, it's prevent it's uh, it's betting opportunities for us. And so once once these things come out, we'll certainly dig in a little bit further for you guys. And man, it is actually here. It is not just off in the distance anymore. Baseball season is here. I mean, we are talking pitchers and catchers reporting. We are talking real like breakdowns of these teams, these trades, these the mega trade with Mookie Betts finally went through. It is official. So he is going to be heading out west. And with that, what we're looking at here is the New York Yankees being the the betting favorite, but the Los Angeles Dodgers right behind right there. If we're looking over at FanDuel, New York Yankees plus 375, the Dodgers at plus 430, Astros behind them at 650. Once you get past the Astros at uh, six and a half to one, it jumps all the way to the Braves at 14 to one. And then everybody at that point is a longer shot. So you can see just where the power lies in Major League Baseball heading into this season. And Brad, I don't want to go ahead and just forfeit the 162 game season here. And I certainly don't want to sit here and tell people not to participate in baseball. But when we take a look here uh, and over on DraftKings, those numbers are even a little bit shorter for the Dodgers. The Yankees plus 350, Dodgers plus 400 over on DraftKings. Astros is 600 and then it goes all the way to the Braves at 12 to 1. I mean, is this really kind of a two and a half team race here for the for the world series i mean are, are we are we wasting our time here gonna because i know we're, i'm gonna do it and you're gonna do it and juan's gonna do it and we're gonna have tons of articles all over the the sites of ours and everything but are we wasting our time digging in here i don't think so i mean we, we kind of thought the same last year and the washington nationals snuck up on people at the end of the year when they got hot so i think there there might be some value i wouldn't bet yet I want to kind of see what happens in spring training and how these rosters are formed before placing any futures bets or anything like that. But I, I, it's, look, it's baseball. Like anything can happen in the playoffs. We see, we see stuff happen every, every single year where pitchers get hot, um, you know, hitters get cold and, and people, you know, teams sneak up on, on other teams. So I, I would not say that the Yankees and Dodgers are locks in their respective uh, leagues. I think there might be some interesting value at in the middle tier anyway. One, as we kind of take a look and head into to Major League Baseball here, I do tend to agree with Brad a little bit. I mean, you know, once you get into the playoffs, we are talking about, you know, can you're going to run your ace out there. Can your ace get it done? Can your ace get it done twice? If that's the case, then... You only need to win two more games. And as we saw, we did see this kind of play out with the Nationals. That being said, when you look at this Yankees team, you look at this Dodgers team, and then even to a lesser extent, what's still left there for the Astros, of course, a couple of parts did head out of town, but still just an incredibly impressive lineup. You do at least understand why the betting odds are where they are, because on paper, these teams just look just head and shoulders above everybody else. Absolutely right. I can completely understand why things are where they are as we speak today. But um, as I, I agree with both of you, I mean, as as you were both saying, I mean, not only can anything happen once you get to the postseason, but anything can happen over that 162 games of the regular season. We've seen how injuries can can totally wreck expectations. And so there's question marks to even, you know, with big free agent signings, even as they even if they stay healthy, 
for example, how does Garrett Cole, uh, you know, adjust to, to pitching uh, much more in Yankee Stadium? How how are these how do these things fall into place that that look so perfect once, you know, the, the guy actually signs a contract and the you know, expectations are at their highest? How do things actually play out once the games begin? So I, I think there's more than enough, uh, you know, that that long, long season has so much room for for things to kind of derail or for people to come up and and unexpectedly and and kind of uh, raise teams expectations as well. So it, it works both ways. And uh, I think that, um, you know, we do have some clear cut favorites uh, last year. You know, we had a bunch of hundred win teams. I mean, that's become almost commonplace now where it was a rarity before, but we'll see, you know, who knows how that, how much that carries over into 2020. Speaking of hundred win teams, we have the win totals over on the books and we'll talk about those favorites here. New York Yankees, sitting at 101 and a half as their win total and then you have the Los Angeles Dodgers sitting at 100 and a half Brett I mean listen man I understand it is it is a triple digit win total but when you look at the Yankees and kind of the state of the Red Sox where they're going to probably be sellers and they're probably going to be rebuilding and yeah it's you know the Rays are are certainly scrappy and the way that they go about uh, approaching baseball is certainly unique and I think that they could be a, a tough out and certainly a pain in the ass along the way. Um, it's still to me really tough for me not to see this Yankees team getting to a hundred wins. I mean, barring just like an, a rash of injuries that, you know, we've never seen in the history of major well, league baseball. That's kind of what happened to them last year. And they still won all those games. Yeah. That was that last year. The Yankee, what the Yankees did last year was incredible. They won. I, I can't remember exactly how many games they won, but they did that with, I think they had like 10, 12 guys hurt through the entire season. So 103, 103 victories last year. So. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and so, I mean, you look at that and if they are healthy, why can't they win 110 plus games? I think it's certainly, I mean, they just loaded up uh, the, you know, Paxton not being, I think he's going to be out for a while. So him not being part of the rotation is obvious. It hurts, but you, know, you look at that bullpen and this lineup, they are, they are stacked. They are ready to go. Uh, so like you guys said, there's no surprise that they are the betting favorites and they have a total here over a hundred when they add a guy like Garrett Cole. Um, I can definitely see them hitting a hundred. Yeah. And then even looking at, at the Dodgers here, guys, I mean, you look and it's like, yeah, you know, the Diamondbacks should be all right, but you're going to run into the same thing with the Rockies and the Padres and the Giants that we've seen, I think, the last few years that are teams that are probably, you know, uh, under 500 teams. They'll 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 make little runs where you think like, oh, OK, maybe this team is good. And then and then they won't. And, uh, you know, you look at the Dodgers win total yet again and. You know, all of this is always barring injury, but let's just if we're if the assumption of health is there, Juan, I mean, sitting at a hundred and a half games for this Dodgers team with the way that they're currently constructed, if they can get anything out of David Price in this in this deal as well. I mean, this just uh, this Dodgers team is it's tough for me to see them not getting over 100 as well. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, that pitching that that starting rotation on paper looks like it's going to be nasty uh, for sure. And so uh, there, there, there's the the lineup itself looks pretty bulletproof as well. If Gavin Lux, I know that's a big uh, you know prospect that if he just continues to develop and he develops as they think he will, and that he has the talent to develop as, uh, I think that the, that lineup is going to be also just extremely difficult to get through. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you see them as kind of the, uh, 
the Yankees of the West, uh, just kind of uh, possibly those two teams on a collision course for for next October. Uh, Again, assuming good health, like you said. So, Brett, one of the other ways you can bet is teams to lose 100 games. That is actually a tab on the team futures if you head over to DraftKings Sportsbook. Teams to lose 100 games, the over set at two and a half, and it is heavily, heavily juiced to the over that there will be more than two and a half teams to lose 100 games this year. If you want to take the under, you can actually get plus 173 on that one. I mean, whenever we take a look at some of these teams, Red, there are definitely some teams that are projected to be absolute dumpster fires. The Detroit Tigers come to mind. The Miami Marlins come to mind. Of course, the uh, the Kansas City Royals not expected to be too good themselves. So there are several teams out there that could challenge the whole hundred loss uh, mark here. I love this market. And I think I, <laughs> I might actually bet this just for fun, just to have a sweat for the whole season. I, I, I dug into this a little bit this morning. Uh, just look, I mean, if you if you lose 100 games, your win total is going is going to be 62, right? So right now the Orioles are 56 and a half, the Tigers are 57 and a half. Then you've got the Royals at 64 and a half, Marlins 64 and a half, Mariners 65 and a half, and then the Giants and, and Pirates are hovering around 70. That tells me that there's a there's a decent chance that it could go under two and a half teams that lose 100 plus games. And if you look back, I mean, last year, the Orioles, Tigers, Marlins all, all lost 100 or more. 2018, there were three. But you go back further, zero teams lost 100 games in 2017, only one in 2016, zero in 2015 and 2014. So if you want to bank on a little more parity this year, obviously the Orioles and Tigers are going to be awful, but... I think some of these teams are going to be improved. I think the Blue Jays are one that, that could sneak up on people a little bit. So I don't think they're a team that could lose 100 games. So they were scrappy at the end of last year. Like and they've like, got like, so yeah. much talent. Yeah, I so mean, I mean, those young guys were. Yeah, I mean, they weren't winning very many games, but like it was a bunch of very, very green young dudes out there, and they were they were scrappy, man. So I, I'm with you. I think that they could surprise some people too. Yeah, so if you can throw away some of these teams that are in that area, potentially losing 100 games as teams that likely won't lose 100 games, I think you could get there. I'm going to bet this. I'm going to, I'm going to, what was it, plus 170? I'm going to bet the plus 170. I'm going to, I'm going to bank on under, under two and a half teams losing 100 plus games this year. I like it. I like it. And then, of course, you can also bet the, uh, over 100 wins as well. That's actually only juiced to 110 on both sides. So if you want the over or the under on teams to win at least 100 games, we talked about the two obvious teams as far as 100 games. But whenever you kind of start looking down the rest of the uh, rest of the of the Major League Baseball kind of win totals here, I mean, the really, you know, the, the Astros are the closest you come sitting at 96 right now. And we don't really know how they're going to react to all the offseason turmoil and stuff. I mean, just the roster alone, you think, is is good for for 90 plus wins. And can they get past, you know, all this other nonsense to get over 100? I don't really know. I certainly don't like this one as much um, whenever I take a look at it. I think that this is probably, you know, priced about right. I think it's probably a coin toss as to whether three teams will make it to 100 wins or not. But again, all of these things we will have on play picks will have 
on the lines and we'll continue to create you some video content and some podcasts around all this as well because we still have a few weeks for you to get involved in the futures market here in Major League Baseball. Want to end things here with some major news that came out yesterday in the sports betting world. We have talked about all of these partnerships and all of the dominoes continuing to fall along the way here. And we have yet another one as CBS Sports and William Hill have decided to pair up here. CBS Sports will be William Hill's media partner. They are going to be, you know, ever present, apparently, across the CBS digital properties. You know, CBS Sports, of course, they have that 24-7 streaming network as well, which is CBS Sports HQ. They have the fantasy product in uh, CBS Sports, so you'll be looking and finding stuff over there. They also have the sports line product that is uh, built around gambling, and so several different ways that they can be integrated into CBS programming. And so, I mean, uh, you know, Brett, we take a look at this, and this is one of those things where we were wondering, I mean, at this point, it's really only NBC. I mean, we have seen all of these major media companies pretty much partner with someone outside of NBC, and it would not shock me if we see that partnership come, you know, here in the next couple months as well, because it seems like everybody is looking to go ahead and scoop up whatever is left out there. Yeah, NBC has the partnership with Yahoo Sports, which has the partnership with MGM. So they kind of had some exposure to MGM there already. But yeah, that's that's the one last big media company we're waiting for. Um, but yeah, with this William Hill, though, you're going to see a lot of what you're already seeing at like ESPN when it partnered with Caesars. You're going to see um, all of CBS's Odds are going to be straight from William Hill. Uh, all every, you know, every time they talk about sports betting, they will be pulling odds from William Hill. So, um, I guess this had been rumored for quite some time. We finally uh, got uh, some finalization of it this week, and it looks like uh, the initial rollout will be coming in March with full integration coming by the football season. Juan, before you got really big into following the sports betting industry, I'm just curious because like all of these names for me, I've just because I've worked in the gaming industry for so long, all of these were just kind of synonymous with everything that goes on in 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 the gambling space. So I'm curious from you before you really started getting into the sports betting angle of things and the sports betting side of things. A name like William Hill, would that have rung a bell to you? And would you have what what would you have thought of of William Hill or were you even familiar with the brand at all? Uh, it, great example, because that's one that I would not have been. It would not have rung a bell, would not have been familiar with it, for example, before really getting into the industry. So, uh, you know, it basically would have probably come down to somebody like Caesars, let's say, which, you know, is, is pretty, pretty much universal as far as it's association with with gaming but other than that uh some of the names here for somebody who might be a complete novice which is i think is what what you're getting at who's just kind of getting acclimated into this now that we've got a a legalized environment uh, some of them would be kind of uh you know out of the blue yeah and so brett i think you know as we close things out here i actually think this one has some potential to do some good for actually for william hill you know i mean we see all these other partnerships and i don't know necessarily how much you know more uh, how much additional brand exposure that, that Caesars really needs or that some of these other you know we saw the the media blitz from DraftKings and FanDuel and they were doing that when they were doing their thing and all that but I think when it comes to brand awareness and or people just feeling comfortable with a brand uh, I, I think William Hill 
can actually gain a little bit of legitimacy in people's eyes just because they're partnered with a company like CBS. I think that William Hill probably is one of those ones that was out there that the casual person, even the casual better even, might not have been incredibly familiar with unless they've spent a lot of time, you know, in Vegas, which is really the only place William Hill was, you know, available up until very recently. Absolutely. And that's why this feels like William Hill is late to the party here and getting its brand out there. They're not DraftKings or FanDuel. DraftKings and FanDuel spent all that money on advertising their DFS product years ago. Little, little, I mean, they may have known that eventually they would be transitioning to sports betting, but all of that paid off. I mean, those are the two biggest, now the biggest sports betting brands in the U.S. William Hill is not there. So I would have expected William Hill to partner with a big media company early just to get its brand out there. Uh, yeah, this is definitely going to benefit them uh, because I think, you know, Juan's not alone. There are a lot of people out there who don't know what William Hill is, even though it really it has been uh, a big player in Vegas for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, a a big player overseas as well, which is what we yeah. just continue to see here. You know, Bet365 making their making their entrance over here as well. Betfred is now active in the United States as well. All of these big European bookmakers making their way over to the United States. So we will see how this all plays out because all of them are not going to survive. We will certainly see some sort of consolidation or some people pulling out of markets and however it goes. And so we are we're certainly in for a fun stretch here over the next few years following the sportsbook battles of the 2020s. There's no doubt about that. Guys, really do appreciate you listening to the podcast here. As always, please go subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what we can improve on. We will definitely do that, and we appreciate those five-star reviews. Helps us climb those charts and helps more people find this very podcast. And as we mentioned, you can follow along with everything that we do on the Twitter machine, at the Lions US and at PlayPicksUS as well. For Juan, for Brett, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.